All right, let's get going. So uh, tonight, tonight's year we'll focus on the halachas of preparing for Pesach. We'll go through the halachas of kashering the kitchen and so on and so forth. So uh, we'll get all, all the way up until the halachas, the actual Pesach Seder. So here we go. Two underlying ideas as we focus in on Hilchas Pesach. Number one is that the purpose of Tyre Mitzvahs is to make our lives more pleasant, more enjoyable, to give us a mahalach, to give us a path in halacha. Okay? It gives us a path in halacha, a path in life. So that's number one. That's the first thing to know. That the purpose of Pesach is not to stress us out, as my mother would tell us all the time. If you have a hard time getting ready for Pesach and it's stressing you out, don't blame it on Pesach, blame, blame it on spring cleaning. Because Pesach itself is not meant to be spring cleaning. A lot of us use it as an opportunity to do spring cleaning. But just don't blame Pesach. It's not Pesach's fault that, we, that you know, once we're cleaning for Pesach, we do, uh, we do other things. The, w- the way in halacha is drachel drachel nai. Okay? And unfortunate, somehow it's been hijacked. The people used to wish each other a, uh, a, uh, a kosher Pesach. A kosher Pesach. Now the Rabbeim are teaching us we should wish each other a freilich in Pesach. Yeah, make sure that not only is it kosher, but it's also freilich. It's a yomtif, it's a holiday. It's a, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a time where we're supposed to chaperine the, the beauty of being a yid. On the other hand, on the other hand, and this is not an opposing idea, but it's an addition, and that is Yisrael Kedosh Yisrael Yisrael were Kaddish, and therefore when it comes to Pesach, sometimes you could tell somebody, hey, no, you don't need all these chumras in your life. When it comes to Pesach, it's unique. The halacha tells us that chumra de pischa, there's a concept of being machmir on Pesach. And it's a, it's a nice zach, it's a nice idea to, uh, to be machmir on Pesach. So if you're able to be machmir without getting in the way of derachel darachinayam, gizint tahayt, beautiful. But make sure not to get in the way of derachel darachinayam. Okay, we're going to go through now the... The, we're going to start out the, the, today's year with, we're going to go from appliance to appliance in the kitchen. All right? Let's go around the kitchen and describe how we're going to kosher our kitchen for Pesach. So, as a general rule, it's better to have separate utensils, but many times it's not reasonable. Many times it's reasonable. Usually what we try to do is have certain vessels for Pesach, different vessels, different utensils for the rest of the year. Again, sometimes due to expense, due to space, it's not possible. And therefore, many of us do not have Pesach kitchens. Some people have a Pesach kitchen. They got a whole separate kitchen. So get sent to Hyatt. You don't need to cost you your kitchen at all. Many of us don't have that opportunity around our homes to have two separate kitchens. So we're going to go ahead and do the koshering process. Let's start with the, with the uh, stovetops. All right. So a gas stovetop needs to be koshered. How do we kosher for Pesach? Take any pot. Cover the area. Of the grate, take a wide pot. This pot does not need to be kosher for Pesach. You have a clean grate, a clean pot. Put water in the pot just so you don't ruin the pot. Put the flame on the highest so that it will spread out underneath the pot. The reason why it should be wide is so that the flame could spread out as wide as it possibly has ever spread out. Put the flame on for 15 minutes and you're done. You're done. Your stovetop is now kosher for Pesach. Now, if food falls on the stove to- on your grates of the stovetop, you shouldn't eat it. 
Because even though the fire spread out as far as it can, it doesn't hit every last spot on the stove. It's very possible you have chametz dika things that popped off my stove, that's pop, popped out of my pot during the year. So now if something falls out, you know, to the, it's a, so don't eat it. But lamaisa, your stove top is now ready for use. It could be used. Uh, it could be used for pesach. Okay, that's how you'd kosher the the grates. Now, what if I want my grates to be totally kosher the pesach to a point? Where if there's an issue and something touches the grates, even that's kosher pesach. So then you could take your grates and you can, if you don't mind them getting ruined, self-clean them. When you put your oven on self-clean, as we're going to say, and that's what I do, the grates, it does ruin the grates to a little bit. It makes it white. You know, it adds like that, that whitish tinge to it. But you can self-clean the grates on the uh, stovetop as well. All right, so the way to kosher a glass stovetop is... Take a pot that covers the area of the grate, put the flame on high 15 minutes, and you're done. How do I caution an electric stovetop? Just put it on for 10 minutes on high. Now, you want it to, to be on the highest for 10 minutes. You have these electric coils. I want to kosher this, this area. So it takes a minute or two to get to the highest point. At the highest point, we want it to go for 10 minutes and dunsky. Okay? Also, kosher. Now, what about the areas away from those coils? We're going to cover that. Because that's, well, what else are you going to do? It doesn't, you know, unless you know how to take it off and stick that and start using blow torches in a place. Whatever you want, huh? You could. You could. Okay. But, uh, you know, the way to kasher is kubala kachpalta. The way it in, the way it goes in is the way it goes out. So you'll cover. Yeah, you do each crate. Do each crate. Either separately or at the same time. Okay. So gas stove tops, we said, put the oven on. Electric, uh, 15 minutes. Electric stove tops, we do. 10 minutes on highest. Glass stovetops is really not simple. I'm not going to give up sock here. It really depends. It's very difficult with a glass stovetop. It's not pushing. It. It's not simple how to kosher it. Ask a, a personal question. That's how we deal with stovetops. What about the oven itself? So if you have self-clean, great, beautiful. Listen to this. Don't throw me out of here. You ready? If you're going to do self-clean, Chavra, you don't even need to scrub out your oven. Halachically, you do not need to scrub it up. We're doing libun gummer by self-cleaning. Libun gummer. We're mamish burning this thing out. You don't even need to wait 24 hours, technically, by libun gummer. The minute is, it seems, people wait 24 hours even by self-clean. But since you're self-cleaning it, you don't even need to do it. The, the self-clean itself is the scrub down. Okay? If I don't have a self-clean oven, then it must be scrubbed down well, Wait 24 hours and put it on the highest possible temperature for an hour. Your oven is now kosher. Again, scrub out any possible chumas dika grease. Wait 24 hours. You can scrub it out within 24 hours. And then you uh, put it at the highest possible temperature for one hour. The knobs on the oven should just be cleaned well. You don't need to do a specific ushering, but since it's a very high touch point, we should... Um, we should... Uh, uh, kosher it well and uh, kosher it well give it a good scrub to make sure that that's taken care of okay so now we've covered the stovetops and we've covered the oven what about the sinks let's move on to the sinks in the kitchen so stainless steel sinks stainless steel sinks are I- the ideal type of sink for koshering uh, the way to kosher it is we don't put any chametz into the sink for 24 hours before koshering now, those who are machmir to not use the sink at all, really, la halacha, if water, you know, if your water gets turned on, it's fine within 24 hours. But the, it seems the minig is to, like, you know, give it a full, like, separate 24 hours before kashering. It's a chumrah. Halachically, again, just no chametz in the sink. 
And then we scrub the sink well. We make sure there's nothing, the, the sink is totally cleaned out. We'll take water that's at a rolling boil. It's at the point of a rolling boil. That water can be taken from a kettle that reached a rolling boil. It can be taken from a pot. And then quickly, if you're going to take it off of the heating element, you want to make sure it stays hot. We're going to pour it over each spot in the sink. Now, the sink is supposed to be dry before you start. The reality is, as soon as you start pouring your water over each spot, it's going to make other spots in the sink wet that you haven't yet directly poured onto. That's fine. You don't need to get OCD about that. You don't need to get mashuga about that. But you're going to take the water and then go over each spot. Sometimes one pot won't do the entire trick. So keep in mind what you've done. You don't need to kasher the entire sink with one pot. You could boil up water. You could boil up multiple pots of water. You can actually kasher your stovetop. At the same time, you're kashering your sink because once you're turning on the flame on high for 15 minutes to kasher the grates, you might as well just fill it up with water and make, make that your boiling thing and shalom al yisrael. You're covering, right? You're you're uh, covering yourself in multiple ways. So you take that water rolling boil and uh, let's say I kasher half my sink. Either take another pot or boil it again and then get to the uh, get to the other half of the sink. It doesn't need to all be uh, all be done at once. Again, the grates do not need to be koshered when doing this. So you could even like kosher your sinks before you kosher your grates. Okay, you don't need to be that the pots are sitting on kosher le Pesach grates in order to, in order to do this. Um, the, the main thing to keep in mind over here, very important points to keep in mind when doing this koshering process on stainless steel sinks. And that is, be safe. It could get messy. It could get hot. Anybody who wears glasses, get ready to not be able to see. I'm giving you some tricks of the trade, okay? You're going to be like, I'm going to go over to the sink. I'm going to pick up this pot. And you're wearing eyeglasses, and then you just fog up. You're like, where am I going? I can't push it. I, I can't see over here. So be careful with that. I also, by mistake, made an you know, made a rookie mistake the first time uh, I koshered. Uh, we were home for Pesach, and I koshered uh, my sinks, and I wore Crocs. Oy vey, Yismir. When doing this. Also a rookie mistake. Make sure you're wearing good shoes because that water is going to pour all over the place. Yeah? And it's going to be hot. It's going to be hot. So be careful. Be careful when, uh, when uh, koshering. Now, the parts of the sink. So if you know how to unscrew the parts of your sink, you know, the actual area by the faucet, it's called the aerator or something of that sort, right? So if you know how to take it apart and then boil that up and kosher it in a pot, that's ideal. But otherwise, if, if it's complicated, to once you take it apart, you can't put it back together. So you could do eroy on the various parts of the, of the sink as well. You know, even the spout part of the sink is okay to kosher with eroy. Okay, that's all stainless steel, very straightforward. That's the easiest type of sink to kosher. There are those who have porcelain sinks, not as common anymore, but porcelain sinks are a little more complicated. It seems that those who do kosher those who have porcelain sinks will kosher it doing the same process. They'll do it three times though. The same way we'll do it one time, they do it three times, and they'll still cover the sinks. It's a little more complicated if you have a porcelain sink. Uh, there, there are ways to kosher it, but uh, you should ask uh, individually. All right, let's move on. We've covered the stovetops, we've covered the oven, we've covered the sink. Let's move on to appliances. So, microwaves. So as we began in the beginning, ideally, we want to have separate utensils for Pesach and non-Pesach. Again, many of us don't have Pesach kitchens, so it's not an option to have different ovens. Microwaves, however, might be a possibility because microwaves are not that expensive, okay? It's 75 bucks, 100 bucks for a microwave. It's not 
It's not like you're installing a whole new oven. If a person could afford a separate microwave for Pesach, that would be uh, the ideal thing to do. However, if it's absolutely necessary to use the microwave on Pesach, for whatever reason, whatever reason, it's necessary, I need to have a microwave on Pesach, this is the way we cook, I don't have a place for another microwave, it's not. so then the way to kasher the microwave, there's a way to do it, again, if you need it, so the way to kasher a microwave is wait 24 hours, give it a good scrub down, make sure there's no chametz inside the microwave, put the microwave on high, put a few cups Foam cups or microwave, microwavable cups, fill it up with water and let it steam for 20 minutes on high. Once it steams for 20 minutes on high, your microwave is now kosher. Okay? Yes, yes, that would apply. That would be the proper way to kosher a microwave at any time of the year. Okay, that's microwaves. Let's move on. Refrigerators and freezers. How do I kosher, so to speak, my refrigerator and freezer? So refrigerators and freezers must be scrubbed down, or let's start with the first thing. First, empty it out, and then scrub it down, okay? So it's gotta be completely emptied and then scrubbed. What's the avayda of this? The avayda is, you wanna make sure that there's no chametz, you're not allowed to own any chametz on Pesach, we're not supposed to see any chametz on Pesach, so we wanna make sure there's any chametz that are left in the cracks, and any schmutz that spilled, whatever, is, all, is, uh, is taken out. Now there's a very common minhug, which is not only to clean out the refrigerator and, and empty it out, which that's, by the way, you're good. Once you, once you empty it out and scrub it, you're kosher lepesach. There is a very common minute that people have to line the shelves of their fridge and freezer. This is not absolutely necessary kosher-wise. This is a minug, again, as we said in the beginning, Yisrael Kedoshim Heim, we have extra chumras that we take on Pesach. But the, the newer fridges and freezers really, at times, if you line them, it might get in the way of the airflow and get, you could run into various issues. So again, you, you know, if it's going to ruin your fridge and freezer, you don't need to line yourselves. It's not a halacha. It's a minug. If a person has his minug, do it. If you don't have a minug, you don't need to be meshug about it. It's a, it's a commonly kept minug, again, as long as your appliance is not going to be... Uh, as long as your appliance is not going to be ruined by it, the main idea is to take a good look at it and make sure that it's all uh, that it's all scrubbed and there's no pieces of chametz inside of it. Let's move on to countertops of the kitchen. So countertops, really, you have, see all these pictures and all these memes that get sent around prior to Pesach. People wrapping uh, aluminum foil around their kids for Pesach. Yeah, people are just lining everything with aluminum foil. Um, so I don't know where that started. I don't know. Uh, I haven't seen aluminum foil in halacha anywhere. Um, be it as it may, the way to handle countertops is if you're going to cover it, which is what's commonly done. So you scrub down your countertop, spray some Windex, give it a good cleaning, and then cover it, and you're good. Zehu. All right. What do you want to cover it with? Whatever you want. Whatever you want. There's a lot of. Uh, Cool things out now. A lot of tricks to the trade. It could be wood. Um, we personally use a um, like a very thick see-through plastic on our stone countertops. Okay, so if let's say you want the look of your countertop, you could have you can get a very they have like these thick tablecloth covers, a plastic cover, and you could lay that out over your countertop. You want something that's going to be thick enough so that no potential hummets that's underneath it through heat or anything of that sort, can, uh, can come up through the bottom. So really with countertops, you cover it and you're good. I mean, once you're covered, Shalom al Yisrael. There are those who don't want to cover their countertops. They want the, the countertop 
itself. So if the countertop is stone, it's kosherable, and the way to do it is through iroi. Okay, iroi is the same way we kosher the stainless steel sink. You take the hot water, the rolling boil uh, hot water, and you pour it all over your countertops, and you make a big mess, and then you, you mop it up, and your countertops, if you pour on each spot, is kosher pesach. Now recently there's been some uh, interesting ideas that people have been floating around in, in more... Uh, both safer and uh, manageable ways to kosher the counter, and that is people come with the idea to use clothing steamers. Now, what a clothing steamer does is it takes water, it boils it, and then um, it shoots it out, boiling water. So you're basically going to take the steamer and go over each part of the counter. The Piskim, including the Star K, which is the number one place to rely upon when it comes to appliances and things of this sort. Rabbi Heinemann from the Star K does not like this at all. There's a specific one that he says, a commercial one that costs a few thousand dollars, which he says is good. It's called the Volcano something or other. I mentioned it last year. I forgot what the number was that he says might be okay. Uh, in general, the steamers are not acceptable because according to their research, they realized that the moment the steam comes out, it's already less than the boiling point. It's already coming out of less than the boiling point. So either you're going to pour water over the counters and you roll out towels and make sure that everything's, you know, everything is up and up and, and uh, you, you get on each spot. Another possibility that, that you can do, and this will work lahalacha as opposed to a steamer, is if you want to take uh, uh, iron, let's say this is going to be a little more grueling, but let's say you want to take an iron you pour water on the countertop, pour a little puddle of water and put your iron on that puddle of water and boil up the water in that spot. So you'll have boiling water on that spot of the counter. You could do it. I mean, it'll take a little more time. It's a little more grueling. And you're going to have to go from, from spot to spot. But uh, that would be an Aitza for somebody who safety-wise doesn't want to just be pouring water all over the place or... Uh, you know, when we moved into our house and I koshered the counters, I realized then uh, which areas in the basement are directly underneath the kitchen countertops. So, uh, you know, you learn which area you need new drop ceiling in because, you know, it's uh, there's no pipes and it's going through, uh, you know, it's going through the cabinets and the parts of the floor. But that would technically be another option in koshering countertops if it's stone. Okay, so again... We're not going to use steamers. You're going to pour, we're going to pour boiling water, or we can use the iron and boil up the water in that area. What if I have that? Basically, is all the main appliances of the kitchen that we've gone through. Now, there's going to be many areas of our kitchen that simply are not reachable. Simply not reachable. So, if you can move the oven, if you can move the fridge and freezer, but sometimes you know it's not manageable. I don't have an able-bodied person, and my thing doesn't have wheels, and it's difficult to. To move out. So you don't need a machmah sugar with it. With the, we don't need to drive yourself crazy. What the place can tell us to do is any area that's unreachable, spray bleach. Get bleach. Take some bleach. Spray it behind there. Now it's not chametz anymore because it's not fit for dog consumption. It's not roi lachilas kelev. So we want to, again, get as much as we can out. But if you can't reach an area, you know, it's it's not meant to give ourselves a backache. We're not meant to show up to the Pesach Seder with uh, with broken backs. That's, that, that's not the advice. No, it's not the advice. It's what I, that's what's needed. Why can't I take my stainless steel sink and just put bleach on it? Because that's not koshering it. You want to kosher it to be able to use it. You want to get rid of the actual chametz. That's a kabbalah kachpoto. So the proper way to get rid of actual chametz is 
Kabbalah Kachbalta. Put it in there, the same way I get it in, the same way I, get it, I take it out. If, it's, if the Kabbalah Kachbalta is an impossibility, so the new Lechatchila to do, it's more Lechatchila than having to, you know, uh, having to hire people to go uh, be moving your, your, your furniture around. So you could, you know, you'll, you'll spray into those, spray into those areas. Okay. High chairs in a kitchen for those who have high chairs. So the Paiskim are lenient with high chairs on Pesach. They don't say you need like different trays. The reason for this is generally when it comes to babies, parents are careful to not lay anything out on that directly on the high chair. That's very hot. Otherwise it's not safe for the baby. By the time you put it in front of a baby, you're going to have blown on it a few times. It's going to be cooled off. And therefore, there's, there's more leniency to say there's a good chance that chametz is not even in there. It's not, it has not even you know been hot enough to sink in. But practically speaking, you know, if you're able to cover the high chair, cover it. You don't need to purchase a whole new tray. If you want to, again, you saw kedushim him. Going back to what we said originally, separate appliances, separate appliances. No chiyav, no obligation. And you don't have to drive yourself crazy over over high chairs. What about silverware in the kitchen? So silverware should be kashered individually, right? Let's say a person doesn't have Pesach Dika silverware and, and uh, year-round silverware, going back to how we started again. If you're able to have both and afford both and you have space for both, that is ideal. What if I'm going to use both? And this is very common with a silver becher, a silver cup. Yeah, it costs a f- couple hundred bucks, a few hundred dollars for a silver case. So to buy a, a new one for Pesach is, you know, it's, it's costly. So many people will kosher their silver cups to be able to use at the Pesach Seder. What if I have silverware to kosher? So you kosher in a pot, the same way you would do regular throughout the year. Interestingly, during the year, there's a very, just an interesting halacha to throw in here. During the year, the poskim frown upon um, going back and forth between milchigs and fleshigs. Because they can get confusing. Once or twice, right? You get, so if I have a knife that generally I use for fleshigs, and now I want to use it for milchigs, and it's a fleshig knife, why, why don't I just boil up a pot, dunk this knife in, use it for my hot uh, fettuccine, and then just put it back in the boiling pot and put it back in my fleshig drawer? We don't do that. Now, we don't do that. We say a fleshig knife is a fleshig knife, a milchig knife is a milchig knife. And the reason for this is, the Pais can say, so that otherwise it leads to confusion. They frown upon even though there's an ability to cash or something, just going back and forth, constantly back and forth. But, it, but the Paiskim do say, at intervals, it's fine to do that. One of the intervals mentioned in the Paiskim is Pesach time. They say Pesach time where you're kashering many things anyway, it's actually if you want to change something from fleshiks to milchiks or milchiks to fleshiks, now's the time to do so. You know, take that opportunity that we're kashering things anyway, once a year or the, twice a year where it's not going to lead to confusion, you have something that became milchiks, now's a good time to, uh, to kasher it. Now, what I wanted to mention as far as the koshering process of silverware, so I have this silver cup that I now want to make kasher pesach. I have the silverware, the metal silverware that I want to make kasher pesach. What are you going to do? You're going to dunk it into a pot that's at a rolling boil. Okay, we'll take tongues, roll in the pot, boiling water, and pull it right out. No problem. It's important that you don't do multiple items at a time. Why? Because it, Scientifically, if I put in a number of cold things into the pot at a rolling boil, it's going to cool off the pot for that instant. Now, if I leave it in there longer and the pot goes back to its original heat, that's fine. You could leave multiple things there at once. But just to mention, if we're going to be kashering silverware, don't just take like 10 forks that I plan on just, you know, and in and out because 
we might be cooling off the pot to a point where it's uh, it's no longer at the proper heating element. Okay. And finally, last thing for, uh, we'll call it the kitchen slash food and koshering is that interestingly, the Paiskim hold, halachically, you do not need a separate tablecloth for Pesach and year round. You could use the same tablecloth. They say because tablecloths are washable and you wash it with soap. And, you know, the, it's, it's totally clean. So there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to use these same tablecloths. Again, going back to what we said, Yisrael Kedayshim Heim, Chumrah Depischa, there's Chumras that we do keep, many people will, uh, and most people will have separate tablecloths, it's a smart thing to do if you can, but let's say I have a family heirloom, and this is, a, you know, my Bubby's tablecloth that, she's, that she used at her Pesach Seder, and I've been using it during, you know, uh, the year, and I, I want to use it again for the Pesach Seder, okay, it's meaningful, halachically, there's, uh, halachically is not going to be an issue with it. Okay, so that's a general overview for koshering, uh, for koshering the kitchen, all right, and going through each appliance. Let's get to searching the house for Pesach, and keep in mind that whatever we discuss by searching the house for Pesach, uh, cleaning the house for Pesach, and what I need to clean, is basically going to tell me what I should be looking for the night of B'dikas Chometz as well. When we clean out our house, we're now going to look around for Pesach. What are we looking for? What am I looking for? So as we said in the beginning of this year, Don't blame spring cleaning on Pesach. It's not Pesach's fault. What is Pesach's fault? So what Pesach's fault is, what do I need to look for is, any chametz, chametz comes from the five grains, has to come from wheat, barley, spelt, oat, and rye. That's the size of a kezayis, the size of an olive. If it's also made as a beria, smaller as a creation, also, I'm concerned about that, even if it's less than a kezayis. So, a crouton, soup nut, or manglin, yeah? Um, a little Cheerio is made as a Cheerio. Even though it's less than the size of a kezayis, that's the way it's made. So, that must be gotten rid of on Pesach. This is the halacha. Halacha is, I'm looking for chametz. So, when you go into your bedroom to clean your bedroom for Pesach, what are you looking for? Chametz. I'm not looking for dirt. I'm not looking for cobwebs. I'm not looking for clothes that I haven't worn since last year, Pesach, that I could donate somewhere. It's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for chametz. All right? Now, this is the halacha. It seems the right... Now, again, going through Yisrael Kedoshim, we're holy people, so we always want to do right. The custom is, and it's the right thing to do, is search again for any chametz possible. So you have chametz dika chips, chametz dika crumbs. Also, we're going to get rid of that. We're going to be looking for that. But again, we're not looking for old clothes. We're not looking for dust. That's not, that's, that's not what we're looking for. If you want to do that now and use the opportunity, blame it on spring cleaning. Don't blame it on Pesach. What my mother, Zechariah Levracha, would tell us is, my mother would say that besides for the kitchen, second. My mother would tell us that in an average size home, everybody's got their own size home, in an average size home with a main floor, maybe a basement, outside of the kitchen, you can be rest assured that your Pesach cleaning could be done in about four hours. Four hours, you, you went around, you, any place your kid could have gone to, a drawer, a bedroom, okay, if you have little kids, maybe it's a little longer. The kitchen is what takes time. Outside of the kitchen, you're talking about 
four, if you don't more than four hours in a standard situation, standard amount of people, standard home, more than four hours, you're doing cleaning besides for Pesach, which is, again, is fine, but don't blame Pesach. Don't blame Pesach. That's, that's what we're keeping in mind. The kitchen itself, yeah, it just depends on, you know, depends on what's going on. There's going to be uh, more cleaning to do. There's no question about it. All right. Nowadays, we clean the house prior to Bedikas Chametz. Shmuel Kamenetsky in his Sefer Kaibat Halachas, he makes a fascinating point. And he says, you know, Bedikas Chametz, which is the night before Pesach, he says, that's when they cleaned their house for Pesach. You know that? That's when they searched for Chametz. They didn't have homes this, like, Upstairs, basements, three bedroom, two bedroom, four bedroom, two bathrooms, kitchen, right? So many different areas. They had a home that they slept in. And the writer Batikas Chametz, as they walked around, as well, you know, let, let's pull all the Chametz together. That's what they did. So Shmuel says that nowadays we spend time prior to Batikas Chametz cleaning. So he says, therefore, at Batikas Chametz itself, um, we don't need an in depth search of every spot. Because it's already been cleaned. However, what do we do the night of Badikas Chametz? So if you know you haven't, you don't have any areas that you've already cleaned out, so clean that out. But if I know I already cleaned out my kitchen, I don't have any chametz in my kitchen. I know I've I've gone under the the dressers in all my in in, in all my bedrooms, and I've checked various things. So Shmuel says Badikas Chametz, we do it. We do like a look over. We look over the area. We don't have to start going through and opening up and. Doing a, it doesn't need to be as intense as uh, the night of the Chametz, which this year is going to be uh, Tuesday night. Right? Doesn't need to be as intense as as um, it, it used to be. Okay, let's get a little bit into Bedikas Chametz itself. Some of the Allah's Bedikas Chametz, and this will also keep in mind that this is areas that we need to look for. So during Bedikas Chametz, when we're actually looking for Chametz, it's brought down in the Halacha. It should be done at night. Because at night with light, you're actually going to get greater clarity. You're going to be able to be able to fine point. That's not the proper, there's a better way to say this. I'm talking with my hands right now. To, to get clear, concentrate. concentrate the light on a specific area. Thank you. If you just use sunlight, there'll be light everywhere. But you're going to lose that focus of concentration, which you'll be able to find more uh, more chametz than you otherwise would have in, in sunlight. So we do it at night and we use a light. We use a light. Um, Rabbi Shmuel Kamenetsky Paskins that it's lichatchila. It's fine and even ideal to use a flashlight at Badikas Chametz. He says it's lichatchila. It's better. And the proof, he brings a raya to this, the proof that he brings is that the Shulchan Aruch writes that it is forbidden to use a torch for Badikas Chametz. You'd think, what's a torch? A torch is a multi-wicked candle. Torch is multi-wicks. You're not allowed to use a torch. So says why not? Because you might start a fire. If I have a larger flame, so while I'm checking for chametz, I'm not going to check well because I'm going to be, oh, I can't go too close to the wall. I can't go too close to the curtain because I may start a fire. So you're not allowed to use a multi-wicked candle. It's against halacha. So he says nowadays, well, we don't know how to walk around with candles and you know and and all these things. What are we busy with the whole time? Don't start a fire. I'll tell you, in my house, you do Bidikas Chametz, the kids walk around with candles the whole time. We're like, don't start. You know, it's like, just don't start a fire. We're, not, we're more busy with that than we are looking for Chametz. So says Rishul Kamenetsky, the idea is to have light that's focused in. He says, use a flashlight. I, the Minigiz, it's brought down to use a flame. So he says, fine. This is, what, this is the proper way for a Jewish home to do Bidikas Chametz nowadays. Light a candle, make the bracha, 
search for a minute, blow out the candle, and use a flashlight. This way, you made your bracha on your candle, your yaitzazayin, you did a little bit for a minute, you checked a small area, and now, blow it out, use a flashlight, you'll do a much better job with bedikas chametz. So that, that would be the uh, ideal way. Um, interestingly, even though the, the custom in the Tumblr home with all my older siblings was like, they would turn off all the lights. All the lights went off, yeah? The lights are allowed to be on. It does say anywhere, you know, it's like we didn't have lights by the Shulchan Aruch, yeah? The lights in the house could be on, but you're still supposed to use a flashlight. Don't rely on the general light of the area. The flashlight or the candle should be pinpointed on specific, uh, on specific areas. Now, there's a Machleik Asapaiskim, the ideal time when to start the actual checking on Tuesday night. Um, it should be done at Tzesach Echavim, okay? It should be done at sundown, which is 45 to 50 minutes after uh, after uh, sundown and as soon as we can get after that you know 50 minutes or so afterwards we should already start uh, checking there's a custom to put out 10 pieces of bread that's a minhug that minhug is only done on Tuesday night if you're doing a bedika at any other time that you're not making a bracha a person's going out of town so they're going to check their house the night before let's say or two nights before so there's a mitzvah to do bedikas chametz. you're not going to make a bracha so there's no Indian, there's no point whatsoever to be putting out 10 pieces of bread. The 10 pieces of bread is only for Tuesday night at the time that we're making the bracha. It's not a game of hide and seek, even though it could be made a game of hide and seek. You can turn it into a fun family event. Again, in our family, the, the, the girl's job was to go hide the, the bread and write down where it is because... <laughs> Yeah, it's the last thing you need is to be putting out the chametz and then finding nine instead of ten. So you write it down and then uh, turn off all the lights and the boys have to get to work. That's how, but again, okay, it, just, it made a fun and then we would start screaming at each other. Why, you know, the last one's on top of the medicine shelf in the bathroom, right? And the boys are like, why would you put the tenth piece on the medicine shelf in the bathroom? And the girls, because maybe there's chametz, but you know, you know, I'll eat the bathroom and that's such a dumb place to put it. And right that, and and now you wasted our time. We could have been finished with the Gashamets and eating supper 15 minutes early. Okay. It's part of the family experience. That's how it is. Sholem, you know, give out. But, halakhically, it doesn't need to be a game of hide and seek. I can put out the 10 pieces and go look for it. Because it's not about finding it. The purpose of pointing out the 10 pieces, of, of putting out 10 pieces of bread is to spread it out to make sure that during Badika's Gashamets, I hit various points throughout the house. So I could, myself, I could take the 10 pieces of bread lay it out throughout the house in high chametz areas. And then at the time of my badika, I'm, I know I need to go to that spot now to take that piece. And now I'll look. I'm looking for chametz as much as I am looking for those pieces. But what we do is we put out the pieces. I'm like, oh, I found the piece. I'm done. Right? Found the piece. Next. The point of the piece is to put, bring me to that spot of the house that I'll look for chametz in that spot of the house. It's not only to find uh, th- that actual piece of chametz. All right. Dining room chairs. Do you have to like disassemble them? No. No. You don't need to disassemble dining room chairs, but they should be. There's a lot of cracks and crevices in dining room chairs and chametz in there, so it should be vacuumed out. It should be vacuumed out, absolutely. Um Rupshul Kamenetsky holds that there's no need to check clothing drawers unless you have kids that are known to stash their Mishlayah Khmanas uh underneath their sweaters because a sibling might steal it, which is possible, right? Unless you know this about your kid. But if you have a rule in the house that there's no, uh, there's no food in the bedrooms, and you know there's bedrooms where, where, uh, where 
clothing drawers, areas that you know there's no chametz, there's no chiyav to, uh, to check. However, when it comes to clothing, one should shake out the pockets of clothing that they've worn during the year. And it used to be in style. I'm sorry for anybody who still wears these. Uh, it's fine. It's not, it's not so out of style. I wonder if I might have some of these. But it was, it was a thing to wear cuffs on your pants. And those cuffs on the bottom of the pants, for men, uh, used, to, used to find all sorts of strange stuff in there. <laughs> oh, like fluff and lint and pretzel pieces. Like, how would that get there? Where would it come from? Okay, any area of our clothing that we possibly could have uh, brought chametz, that uh, that should be checked out. Uh, Rav Shmuel Kamenetsky also writes in Kavitz Halachis, that you know, when it comes to checking the garage or suitcases for traveling and things like that, she says that uh, that you know, if you know that you're the type of person who checks your suitcases for food before putting it back in your garage, you don't need to start checking your suitcases. Uh, you don't need to start checking your suitcases now. Uh, a very important area of cleaning our domain for chametz is our cars. Us Americans. We, we peck at food like chickens. <clears throat> Some of us are lucky enough to actually sit down to a meal, but we just eat. People eat in the car, people eat on the move, people eat on the run. There's a good chance, even if there's no kids making a, you know, a chametz all over the, the, the floor in the back of the car, there's a good chance that there's chametz. And therefore, the same way we clean our homes, we're obligated to clean out our cars. We own it, it's our domain, it's our area, it's a home on wheels. And a person, pedikas uh, chametz as well. A person should go out to their car to give it a uh, a quick look over, to give it a quick look over, to make sure there's no uh, there's no chametz there. And as we started mentioning recently as well, uh, cell phone uh, cell phones with the cell phone cases. You, if you remove the cell phone protectors, you'll be surprised to see how many crumbs are there. You could have little crumbs like in between the phone and the protector. People eat while they're on the phone, and we'll, we'll put on our kitchen counters. And that should, that's a, a place to uh, be careful about as well. Um, again, any area throughout the home or car that's difficult to reach, you could spray it, you, uh, you could spray it out with, uh, spray it out with uh, bleach. It's kedai, it's worthwhile, and this is interesting, and I, I never really got clarity in this for University City. The garbage bins, the outside garbage bins of University City, once it's out in the bin, is that considered University City's domain or is that mine because I rent it? Because we pay per garbage bin. So if I'm renting the bin, my chametz, let's say the garbage pickup is on Friday and I put chametz on Tuesday into my bin, so then I still have chametz in my domain until Friday. All right, unless you make it Hefker in a Hanami. Okay, so you, but the, um, am I relying on Hefker? It's automatically Hefker. Or am I getting rid of it? Anyone on the street can come take it. Okay, I don't know if it's automatically Hefker, but if garbage cans are the domain of the city, so then certainly there's no problem. It's completely out of my Rishos. But if it's not out of my domain, then I could certainly see people who want to be Machmir, people want to be strict and say, I don't want this, you know, the same way I'm not keeping any Chumitz uh, in, in my garage. Uh, you know, and I don't want to keep chametz here either. So I'll bring it to the regular dump, of which the University City makes available. I think Robert Greenblatt arranges that that there's a couple days um, down uh, Olive uh, where uh, people could bring their uh, pe- people could uh, bring their chametz. I'll get to you in a, get to you in a minute. 
Um, married children visiting their parents. Okay, so if you're a married child visiting a parent, so those married children are obligated to check their rooms with a bracha, even though they just showed up a day before, because that's their living area now. It's your living area. People are like, oh, do I need to rent an area of the house to be able to do Badikas Chametz? No, they, they gave you this room. You've been living there for a day or two. You've, there's a chance you've brought Chametz there. So that's, uh, that's, your, that's your area. Now, if you show up to a host, I go away for Pesach and I'm, I'm at a friend and I show up to host or I'm at a hotel and it's the day before Pesach, so then we'll do a basic check over the room, but I know no chametz has ever been brought there, so I'm not going to make a bracha. If you show up a couple days before and you have your own chametz there, right? so then you make a bracha. It's your room that you're renting, you make a bracha. However, if it's, um, if it's uh, I show up the day before Pesach and there's no chametz, one should do a, a check over and... Uh, and uh, if I show up that day, I'm not going to make a bracha. And finally, one should check their porches and balconies. The Shulchan Aruch writes, you do not need to check your backyard. Backyards that are more open to birds, squirrels, and any other animals that you're not interested in. Uh, uh, they come and they take the food from the backyard. You could assume that they take it. But things that are, you know, have a deck around it or a porch, th- things of that sort, they should be... Uh, they should be cleaned for Pesach. Make sure there's no chametz in that area. And finally, we'll end with this, and then we'll get to questions. Uh, as far as getting rid of chametz, the beer chametz, so we're going to be getting rid of as much chametz as possible prior to Pesach itself. You don't need, people say, oh, I don't have any chametz to burn on Erev Pesach. Great. Beautiful. <laughs> so don't burn chametz. You don't need to like, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't know where this started, but when I was in... Uh, I don't even know who started it. Maybe one of my buddies started it. When I was in Israel in high school, it became the minug. Erev Pesach in the morning, right after Shachris, we would hop into cars and everybody would drive to Dunkin' Donuts and Krispy Kreme. You know, Erev Pesach, get your last licks on uh, fresh donuts and chametz. And they would purposely buy a little bit extra to throw into the fire. Yeah? But there's no Indian to do that. It's a waste, total waste of money. You know, it's baltashchis. Yeah. The, the mitzvah of beer chametz is not to, you know, you don't buy chametz to burn. If you have chametz, you go burn it, okay? And um, finally, the last thing that we, I, I mention each year by beer chametz is don't, it's, it's kishmak to like pour lighter fluid on your chametz and then throw it in because then it looks like you're preparing for Lag Baimer over here, yeah? Now it's like, psh, it's going to make the fire bigger. The problem is you don't get a mitzvah if you do that. And the reason why you, won't get a, you don't get a mitzvah if you do that is because once you pour lighter fluid on the chametz, it's not fit for a dog to eat, so it's not chametz. So you're not burning chametz, you're burning garbage. So if you want to get the mitzvah of beer chametz, put the lighter fluid on the fire if you want to be using this type of stuff or whatever. But the chametz has to be edible to get the mitzvah at the time that we actually put it into the fire. So that's a quick overview of kashering, preparing, Checking for chametz, burning chametz. Bezram, next week we will get into the laws of the actual Pesach Seder itself.